Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Sermons podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.crossroadstw.org. Good morning, everybody. I'm glad you're all in the house of the Lord. Great job, worship team. Uh, Great. He won't. Amen. He won't. He won't. And he won't. So again, thank you guys. Man, the first hour was fantastic. God moved in a mighty way. And we're praying that God will do the same thing in this hour. And so we've been on a journey through the book of Ephesians. It's been seven, eight weeks now. And so we're in Ephesians chapter four this morning, uh, seven through 16. So if you're watching online, thanks for tuning in with us. We know there's a host of people watching from different places. Uh, man, I just got told a while ago, man, people from New York has been watching. Um, you, you got it, Alaska, man, you got California, and so other places as well. We want to say thanks for tuning in um, to what God is doing here, even Florida. So again, thank you, thank you, thank you, and thank you. Again, we've been on this journey trying to discover what was God telling the Apostle Paul via the Holy Spirit to tell to the church in Ephesus. Uh, He had a lot to say, by the way. I mean, six chapters broken up in two different ways. First three, doctrine, back half, duty. So some would say this in academia, some would say the first three is kind of orthopraxy. So orthodox doctrine, sound doctrine, the first three chapters. The back half, orthopraxy, doctrine and practice. So the doctrine that I received is not just head knowledge, it's actually practice knowledge. Because you know this, real wisdom is just really applying the knowledge that you actually have. So this is what the writer is saying. Paul wants, I mean, Paul wants us to know, hey, look, hey, church, don't get it twisted. God is in control. He empowers, and he has a purpose. And so he's been talking to the church. It's been a great, great ordeal. And so he's been barking on this deal. The last three weeks, Paul has been barking on this idea of unity. He's been barking on this, hey, be, be one, be one. We're one, we're united, one faith, one baptism, one Lord. He's been barking on this, this concept. But this morning, what he's gonna do is shift gears a little bit theologically, orthopraxy in, in a sense, not necessarily theologically, but the theology that we have, there's this reality that comes from heaven, what God has done through Jesus Christ for you and I. In other words, he died for your sins and my sins. Therefore, as we trust him and embrace him in this relationship, something happens. But not just that. It's not as if he just does something on the vertical. There is a relational integrity that ought to take place based on the, the vertical reality. So now what he's going to do is he's going to drive this home. Yes, we are unified. Yes, we are unified. But he shifts gears And now he's going to talk to us about the uniqueness within our unity. The uniqueness within our unity. So there's a lot of church growth strategies out there. I mean, it's amazing. Even you think about the first century, they didn't have a marketing scheme. They didn't have a budget. They didn't have social media plans. They couldn't have a third-party firm come in and help them. They didn't have none of that stuff, right? But what did they have? They had a common purpose, a common conviction, and a common responsibility. They understood that the gospel, they they realized this resurrected in bodily form person, Jesus Christ, we've seen him, we've heard him, we've experienced his power, so therefore, this not, I'm not gonna punt this to somebody else, this is all of our responsibility. It's amazing that church growth now in the 21st century, there's been a great deal of emphasis on how do we actually grow the church? How do we grow the church? How do we not only just grow the church, but how do we, how do we retain people, right? How do we just not be in Bible Belt once a month type of tenders or just Christmas and Easter, call them creasters, amen. But how do you really, how do you grow the church? Let's just keep it real this morning. How do you really grow the church? It's not through gimmicks. So in other words, we're not gonna be, you know, I've been in different circles and set in different creative meetings and some of the things that, you, that I've heard come up, in other words, hey, look under your seat, there's a $20 bill, right? Somebody may win a $20 bill. If you come in or come back, you'll get this. We're not, we don't wanna, we're not gonna be a gimmick church, okay? We're not gonna be a gimmick church. What we will be, Crossroads, hear me say this, is that we desire to be a deep church first before wide. We desire to be a deep church theologically, but not just theologically, to be spiritually big heads, the Lord didn't give us the Bible to be smarter sinners. 
He gave us the Bible so that we have uh, um, uh, smaller heads walking in humility because of the vertical dynamic in reality, but having bigger hearts towards other people. That, that's what we want to be about. We want to be about having deep this way first and then going this way. Because here's the issue. Because just because you have a great number of people in a church doesn't mean you have a church. Just keeping it real. Just because you have a lot of people in a church doesn't mean you have a church. So let's look at God's growth strategy one-on-one in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. We'll back up a little bit. Last week, I know we touched on 7. But 7 through 10 play a big role in unpacking the rest of the, rest of the scriptures that we're going to deal with this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 says this. It's amazing, y'all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. According to the measure of Christ's gift. Paul is saying God knows what he's doing when he gifts you with something. You don't have to lobby for it. You don't have to tarry for it. You don't got to go to classes, all this other stuff for it. When you give your life to Christ, Ephesians 1.13, he's willed to each believer a spiritual gift. So according to, he says... The measure of Christ's gift. He knows what he's doing. In other words, that's what Paul is saying. Therefore, it says, let me unpack this real quick. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In other words, y'all know when people are dead, when Jesus rose, they rose in bodily form and all this cool stuff was happening. Maybe bodies coming out the grave, walking around. That was like thriller all over again. It was crazy. But there's still a great multitude. And then those that would be born post the resurrection. Well, what about us? Verse 9 says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower region. There's different two schools of thought here that obviously went down into uh, hell, the lower shields, and took the keys. We already knew he did that. But that's not what the writer is saying here. He's saying, in other words, Jesus wrapped himself in flesh. He descended from his heavenly place, wrapped himself in flesh, and then when he ascended again, he empowered the church with gifts. Literally, that's what he's saying. But check this out. He descended. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might feel, oh, here it is, feel all things. You remember when Jesus said, hey, look, I must leave you. And Peter was like, man, you can't leave. You can't leave, man. You know, can't leave, can't leave. We would have said the same thing too, by the way, had we been walking with Jesus. Hey, I'm getting ready to leave. We've seen all this stuff, man. And brother, man, pulling coins out of a fish mouth, man, feeding 4,000, 5,000, all the great miracles would have been thrown. Jesus, don't go nowhere. And by the way, you know this, that many people follow Jesus for wrong reasons. Many people follow Jesus just for what they can get from him, not necessarily they wanted him. So in this context, you see Jesus goes, hey, look, man, um, I'm getting ready to leave. And, uh, but when I leave, I'm going to leave you with the parakletos, the Holy Spirit. I'm literally going to leave you my spirit. So he's going to lead and guide, convict, bring to remembrance, illuminate. He's going to do all these things through you and for you. But, um, then Jesus says the craziest statement. He says, oh, I'm going to leave. And then you're going to do greater works than me. What do you mean? What do you mean greater works? Now that has been taken out of context with many different circles, What Jesus is saying is this, we're not going to do greater works like we're greater than God. That's not what the text is saying. What Jesus is saying is this, is that we will do um, not quantity of work, but uh, not not quality of work, but quantity of work. Jesus was housed in the flesh, so he he um, he was limited in what he can do in the flesh on this side of heaven. So he said, now what I'm going to do, I'm going to send, I'm going to leave the spirit. You're going to now permeate the glow for my, for, my, for my goodness and for the advancement of the gospel. So here it is. The writer wants us to know something. There's uniqueness in our unity. Notice he says we are united in Christ. We're united because of Christ and for no other reason, but also we're united for him. Every single one of you, you play a massive part in this thing called the body of Christ. I know... Different, there's different deals, different schools of thought, different denominations that may say, hey, look, this is not the case. You sit, you stay, stay in your lane, do some different deals. I understand there's a lot. I'm going to touch on some, some key statements here. And you, many of you may disagree, but theologically, where we land as a church, I'm going to unpack some things when, when it comes to gifts. Now, here's what I want us to understand. Paul says that every single person plays a huge part 
in this thing called the bride of Christ because the Bible declares that there's uniqueness in our unity. In other words, Jesus has sovereignly given to each individual, man, woman, boy, and girl, those who have trusted Jesus as their savior, he has willed them with the enablement to do kingdom work. Now, so what is this whole idea of a spiritual gift? Spiritual gifts is this. Well, it's a God-given ability that has been given to you or me that he uses to build up others and to edify the church. In verse 16, on the same text we'll be reading in just a little bit, he actually unpacks this a little bit. He says, hey, look, when each part is working properly, I love that, when each part is work, working properly, it's like that old school beat up um, uh, uh, bucket car used to drive back in the day when the muffler was bad, muffler hanging off. But he said, when every part is working properly, what happens? It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let me just say something real quick about talents and gifts. You see, talents, they're given to you at the moment you're born, biologically, physically. So you may play keys, you may play do other things, you may be good at, I don't know what it may be. That's considered a talent. Spiritual gifts is very clear within the context of Scripture. And by the way, there is no new revelation. Let me just say this. This is God's canon. This is God's word. It's perfect. Uh, 66 books, man, uh, spread over 1,400 years. Man, it's crazy. And all these different writers, there's only one author, God, all these different writers didn't get together, but there's still a common theme through all this. Three different continents, it's off the charts. And so if this is God's word, the canon, 66 books, if the canon is closed, in other words, canon means ruler by which we measure our lives by. Here's how we conduct ourselves. This is it. And so I'm telling you this, there's no, real, if you get people saying there's a new revelation out there, well, if the Lord hadn't said it in the Bible, I'd be very leery of it. If he has not said it in Scripture, I'm very leery of it. Oh, maybe on a little soapbox this morning. Stay with me. Stay with me. This text, it, it, it argues this stuff. So, talents are given to you when you're born. Gifts are given to you when you're reborn. In other words, when you give your life to Christ, again, as I prefaced earlier, Ephesians 1, 13, Paul, he, he keeps this common theme that everything he says through 1 through 3, he, he backs up and clarifies in 4 through 6. So here it is. He says, well, everybody plays a huge part. Huge part. So why is it important that you know what your gifts are? Because you are uniquely gifted. You are uniquely gifted. You're not somebody else, and so stop trying to be somebody else. I know in this room, there's people trying to be like somebody else. People say, Pastor, why do you, why do you preach like that? Why do you do certain things, quirky things on stage? This is just how God has wired me as a communicator. Now, through the years, what I've done is I've learned sitting under different preachers, you kind of, you glean certain deal from different preachers. I like to say this, uh, God and his sovereignty, we milk the cow, but we make our own butter. So in other words, I am who I am as a communicator. I'm not trying to be somebody else. This is who God has gifted me to be, and he uses my personality and the gifts in which he's given me to edify, to build up. This is the gift, that, the gift he's given me to the church to build up the church. I'm going to get to that in just a little bit. But what happens when you and I discover our spiritual gift? Remember, relational integrity. God is a wise investor. So therefore, if I realize and discover what my spiritual gift is, Here's why it's important, because in you, God has uniquely gifted you with experiences. He's uniquely gifted you with a gift, and through your experiences and your gifts, stay with me, y'all. I hope you catch this, because it's like hot grits this morning. Be through your life experiences, we're able to see Jesus clearer. And if it was just about one person, then nobody would be needed, other people rather. But so in other words, what Paul is saying, he's gifted the church. Yes, unity is important, but there's also uh, uniqueness within the unity. Because when we use our gifts, Jesus is be, he's able to be seen clearer, not just in the church only, but on outside the church. But here's the key I want to make. But also, the culture can see him clearer. This is linked to John 17, Jesus' prayer. Jesus said, look, I pray that there will be one. This is why Jesus, God in flesh, he prayed such a prayer. He could have prayed anything. But he prayed that we would be one. I wouldn't look at you and be siding on you. I wouldn't be looking at you and throwing shade at you and putting you down, talking about you behind your back. I wouldn't be doing these things. If we're the body of Christ, we all play a part to eagerly maintain the unity, the bond of peace. And that peace means in the eye of the storm is what the Greek word means. 
in the middle of the storm, even though stuff may be chaotic, we still come together. So here it is. Jesus said, I pray that there'll be one. Just as I, Father, you and I are one. Why, though, Jesus? So that the world may know that you sent me based on their oneness. So that the world may know that you sent me. So there'll be a clearer picture that when we work, when we're functioning and properly um, um, executing and, and doing the things that we've been sovereignly by the manufacturer to actually do, you mean to tell me that Jesus will be seen clearer in the culture? Absolutely. I actually had a different um, analogy this morning. I was going to use different ingredients and appliances up here. Have you ever had an idea and it sounded really good and then you actually sat on it and stewed on it for a little bit and then it just sounds, it was straight horrible? Anybody? It's like, this is, this is not that wise, right? So I was going to literally cook breakfast while I was up here. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was going to crack some eggs. Rocky would have been up here. Josh would have been up here. I mean, this service, Rocky would have been the first service. Crack some eggs, boom, cheese grater. Every part played a part for this grand, beautiful meal. And I thought, man, and Pastor Carlos was like, man, bro, if you do this in English, I got to do it in Spanish. <laughs> so he's thinking, how are we going to get this thing done? How, I mean, really, realistically, how can we pull this off? And so we got together, Rocky, Pastor Carlos, and myself, and we thought this through. We said, you know what, instead of that, why don't we use puzzle pieces? <laughs> a lot simpler, right? right? Puzzle pieces. I'm going I'm to expound on this in just a little bit, that puzzle piece. But so here's the deal. God has given you gifts, experiences that drives you and that are completely unique that God has given to you. Think of this. Again, Paul is not arguing sameness. He's never talked about sameness from the beginning, talking about unity in the church. He's never talked about uniformity, that we all got to look the same, eat the same, vote the same. He didn't say that. But within our differences, there is still this greater bond called unity in the blood and in the body of Christ. That nothing can break that. And so now, here's what he said. He said, well, since there's uniqueness in unity, each part has a part to play given by the Spirit of God. Uh, now, he's also given the church um, leadership to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Look at verse 11 and 12. He says this, and he gave the apostles, I want to stay here real quick. Notice the text says, and he gave the apostles. So the Lord gives to the church. No other human being, I'm going to say this right, no other human being can tell you what your gift is. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you this. I'm gonna, there's some people out there that's, I'm going to give you this gift. No, 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 no. The spirit of God gives you the spiritual gift. That spiritual gift is discovered in the context of the church and then is developed in the church and best used in the church so that the church can um, visibly display a clearer picture of who Jesus is. Then we all grow more because if you're not using your gift, guess what? Um, we're not seeing a good picture of who Jesus is. And so here's the crazy part about this. In this room, this number, online, I wonder why there's such a hard time in our culture when it comes to Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, because I, I really believe a lot of us, we just think, man, I can go to church and I can check out. I don't have to use what God, I don't even, I don't even really care. It's a religion. It's just a religion. It's just a religious activity. The church is far grander than that, saints. The Lord has equipped you uniquely to be a part of a grander puzzle to show forth his face and his glory. I don't know about you, but have you ever been unprepared for something? Ill-equipped, right? Unprepared. Have you ever, anybody in the room? Anybody? Come on, come on, come on, play a little. Yeah, yeah, Ill, just unprepared. So maybe it's like this morning, you just like, man, I just run, ran out the house. You like, you, you forgot that one thing. And then you like talking to yourself in the car singing like, man, I forgot to brush my teeth. Amen, right? Right? So just whatever. It may be just maybe a, a job deal, a presentation, uh, something with school. Uh, we traveled back um, a couple months ago. I was speaking at a Christian college here in the United States. I was traveling, man, had Josh Wallace with me. It was very fun. It was a Bible college. A Bible college. So we had a layover at a, I forget where we're at, but had a layover and we're sitting there chugging coffee, encouraging each other. People watching, it's always funny. People watching, we, you know, coming up with stories like, man, that dude going through a lot. You know what I mean? You know, we just, y'all people watch too. Don't do that to me. So we're sitting there chugging coffee, and I go, it was a, like a, 
like a, a, like a lump in my throat. He looked at me and he said, man, what's wrong, Rhea? I go, bro, I messed up. He go, what you, what, you, what you talking about? It's all good. No, I'm saying, bro, you don't realize I messed up. What you mean? I'm like, I'm shaking at this point. I'm like, man, it's just bad, right? I said, man, I forgot my Bible. <laughs> How are you the keynote speaker? You don't have a Bible. Here's what I want to say. The Lord never leaves you and I. Hear me say this, ill-equipped or unprepared. That's on us. He does his part. Paul says, he's given to the church. Ah, time has gotten away this hour. I don't know why. Do y'all shorten the time on this one or something? He's given, and really this reads, verse 11, and he gave. It really, it really reads this. He himself, God himself gives these gifts to the church. And by the way, each one of these that he lists has something to do with the word of God. They're all connected via the scriptures, the word of God. He says he gives some to be apostles. Now, granted, there's different views of this. Some people claim to be apostles. This is a different sermon, a different class, different discussion. If you want to have that discussion, um, go ahead and email uh, Pastor Daquan. He will unpack all this for you. <laughs> apostles. So, nah, apostles, nah, nah. Not in the sense of an office of apostle from the, like the first century. Luke would even say to be an apostle, the qualifications was that you had to see Jesus' baptism. You had to see his baptism. Come go with me. You had to witness his ministry, the miracles he performed. Oh, and then, not only that, you had to witness his death and resurrection. Apostle? Now I know Paul was abnormally born. It's God's sovereign will. God had a plan for him. So not in the office. So this whole apostle or even prophet, let's go to prophets. Prophets in the sense of not in the Old Testament or even earlier on in the New Testament. But the word literally means sound doctrine. That prophets declare sound doctrine. That's what the word means, sound doctrine. In some sense right now what I'm doing is, is in a prophetic way saying this, that here's God's word. If you and I, if we listen to the Spirit of God, we listen to the Word, listen to the Spirit of God, we obey what the text says, here's some things that could happen. But if you hear the Word of God, shut your ears, close your heart off, say that sermon is for somebody else, it's not for me, and you, you, you choose to shut off what the Spirit is teaching you, there's some other ramifications too on the back end for you too. Like what could happen? So in a sense, prophetically, that is the idea. Now this whole idea of tongues, I don't want to get too deep into this. But Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, he begins to list this to the people in Corinth. He says, here, and by the way, when it comes to spiritual gifts, I don't want you guys to be ignorant without knowledge. Everybody's running around fighting and boasting about who had the greater gift in that context. They were actually misusing the gifts. And by the way, this, that hadn't changed in our culture today. Many people abusing gifts. So then therefore, you have people on this side that don't even want to use gifts. And so we got to air somewhere, we got to air right in the middle, y'all. Biblically speaking and theologically speaking. So Paul would say, hey, look, man, some of y'all speaking in tongues? The word tongue there in 1 Corinthians 12 is galasa. Everybody say galasa. Ooh. It basically means this, where we get our English word glossary. So galasa means, when Paul is talking about tongues, he's saying it's a, it's a known language that hadn't been taught yet. Well, Marcus, what about this prayer closet language? Again, we could talk about that later, but I want to just help you all understand the purpose of gifts. Think about, think about the day of Pentecost. That these guys had never studied these languages, all these different ethnicities and people groups were in this place to hear the gospel. It was a known language to articulate the gospel to other people. So these, this gift... The apostles or the, the, the earlier guys, Peter, Paul, all these guys received was for the purpose of advancing the gospel. Let me ask you this question. If you ever get in a, I'm just going to make a statement, it's not a question. If your gift is not to edify the body and give God glory, you may say, what well, is giving God glory? It's my own secret little thing. Well, I, I, I disagree with that. 
Every single gift, Paul says, the common good, the common good. Everyone is given for the common good, for the common good, for the common good. Whenever there's repetition in the Bible, he's driving home a point. So, many of you may disagree, and that's okay. But that's not something to disagree in, like, I'm leaving the church. That's a secondary, tertiary doctrinal stance. What's primary is this, salvation. How do we get to Christ? How do we get to the Father? It's through Jesus. He says an evangelist. He says this, well, hey, um, evangelist. And, and many of us, you say, well, whew, I'm off the charts on that. I mean, I'm off the hook on that one. I don't have the gift of an evangelist. Well, just because you don't have the gift of evangelist or an evangelist, it doesn't mean you shouldn't evangelize. Some people have the gift of evangelism. They can just share the gospel, throw the net. People are just wooed. God is working in their hearts and draw them to himself. But it doesn't negate the fact that you and I still ought to be sharing our faith and the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Well, then he goes on to say shepherds and teachers. And, and by the way, this, this is God has gifted me and this is my gift to the church. There are pastoral staff. And we want to do so with high integrity want to shepherd you properly in a way that points people to Jesus, not to our own accolades, not to our own tickles and whims and want to be known and platforms. We're not, we're, not, we're not here for that. We long to literally see you function as God's poetic poem and peace in this grand thing called his kingdom. That's our whole desire, is to see you actually function. Every single person in this room function as if the Lord, how the Lord has, has called you. Well, it's amazing because there's different ideas when it comes to this, these different giftings. You have to ask, if the Lord has gifted the church, he himself has given these gifts to the church to build them up via the word of God. Not preferences, not committees. I'm going there, y'all. Not all this other stuff that we made church. The church, this ought to be the centrality of everything we do. The word of God. Not what I think, not what you think, not what else. so-and-so said this, this is what we used to do. That's fine. That's okay. We can learn from those things. But is it, is it tradition or is it truth? It's threefold why some churches fail to get past verses 11 and 12. Three primary, I think, realities. One... They don't have a heartbeat. They just don't have a heartbeat to um, equip other people. They just don't have a heartbeat for it. They don't. They just don't have a heartbeat for it. That kind of leads to the second threefold issue: is some churches view the church as a place to just entertain and not equip. Entertain, entertain. If we entertain enough, more people will come. If we entertain, people will come through the door. If we entertain, if we entertain, if we entertain, we're not in here to entertain, y'all. I mean, we're not here to entertain what you see. You're not going to have, you know, we're going to do just, just random junk. Somebody come parachuting in. I mean, I mean, we ain't doing all that stuff, man. Paul would say this in 1 Corinthians. He said, man, I don't want their faith to rest on anybody's power but the power of the Lord. Not on man's words, not on man's schemes, man's coercion or whatever you want to. No, 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 no. Or here's the other one. This is ra rather prevalent. A lot of churches just don't know how to do it. How do we really equip the saints? How do we really delegate? How do we help people discover their poetic purpose? How do we, that's, by the way, second, um, um, Ephesians 2 and 10, how do we help people realize their puzzle piece in this grand thing so that the face of Jesus can be far clearer that we grow and learn more about who Jesus is, we grow in our walk, but then also the culture can see a clearer picture of Jesus. How do we do that? And I'm saying this, no, we don't delegate roles and responsibilities out of laziness. Some people delegate out of laziness. They just don't want to do work. Y'all know that's, that's true, right? Some people delegate, and here's where we stand. We want to delegate out of empowering. We want to empower you to do the work of the ministry. So we have something that's a threefold kind of a plan, discover, Discover individuals, help you discover, also develop 
and to deploy. We want to help you. We want to discover the individual. If you come, whether here, come, maybe email, maybe through next steps, maybe getting a coffee. Discover, figure out. Okay, we see you. Help develop you, and then deploy you. See, the goal of the early church wasn't just to hire more people. That it, it wasn't. It's not sustainable. It's just not realistic. It's not realistic, guys. As we grow by God's grace, I don't know if we will or not, but I'm just saying this, by God's grace, we want to, if we begin to grow, we, we may have to add a couple auxiliary hires, but, but here's the deal. We desire everybody in this congregation, those watching online, I'm about to speak to you in just a little bit, but those watching online, we, would, we desire to help you discover your gift, develop that gift, and then deploy you in a place where you're actually doing the work of the ministry. That's it. So the church is... This is in the context of the church he's writing to, but in the context of the church, these are used. Now, not in a building. See, the church is not a place you attend. It's the people you belong to. The church is not an event to be watched. Now I'm going to take a couple of moments, as I did in the first hour, and just talk to those watching online. The church, online technology was never invented to substitute the gathering of God's people. Never invented to be a substitute, to be a replacement. Now, understand there's still some fears out there, but if you're, if you're, if you're healthy, like you're okay, you can wear a mask, you can do whatever you want to do, um, and you're able physically, I do know some are sick and shut in, some can't come to the church, and so they're older, they're, they're just homebound. I do understand that. That's a legitimate deal. But if you're healthy and can actually function and move, it's time to get in the game. It's time to get in the game. Because here's why. Paul is saying, look, because if you're not getting in the game and you're sitting on the couch, how can you help everybody else grow in their walk? How are you helping everybody else grow in their, how, how can I see Jesus clear if you're always in the cuts? Boy, I'm making some emails. But it's all good in the hood, trust me. They're given to grow us up. It's like Jethro told Moses in Exodus 18. He said, hey, look, man, you can't be all in every little conversation and every little this. You can't be, you can't be all in everything. At some point, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, we got to change this philosophy. Some of the greatest wisdom Jethro gave Moses. That's a great father-in-law. And earlier on in Exodus uh, chapter 3, Jethro actually gave his son-in-law a job. That's a cool father-in-law, right? So he gives him a job. He gives him great wisdom. He said, look, man, you gotta, we got to do this. And you appoint and raise up other people to handle those things. Because physically, it's, it's not going to work. It's, it's not sustainable. And it's actually very detrimental. So as a church, we want to equip you to actually be who God has called you to be. Well, so when you discover that deal, when you discover your gifts, here it is. In the right way, biblical way, the Lord is glorified in the church. He's already talked about this in Ephesians 3 and 10, but then also in verse 21 in chapter 3. It's in the church, but also through the church, that his manifold witness, remember we talked about this? His manifold witness be made known to the, the principalities and the rulers in the air. It's profound. So let me ask you this question. Are you signed up for Serve the City? You say, well, nah, I'm going to chill. I'm going to watch a little basketball that day. Hopefully not. Don't tell me that. I'm going to be fired up. <laughs> you know, to pray for me. But this is, Serve the City is a strategic thing that our staff, we, we got together and the Lord has put it on our hearts to help mobilize the church to showcase the fact that we understand our poetic purpose and that we want to display to the culture, man, a clearer picture of who Jesus is. Jesus came to serve. He said, I came to not be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So this is our biggest um, uh, moment, if you will. And there's moments every single day, by the way. But as a church collectively on this day, March 26, we're going to get together 200 plus people and go serve the area. I don't think this is one you ought to twirl your thumbs on and go, hmm, I wonder if I'm going, hmm. Please don't do that. Sign up. This is, this is where the Lord is calling the church. Out of slumber, but into the game. 
I really believe this, church. We can't, we can't keep doing the same old, same old and expect God to do something extraordinary. At some point, the word of God has to really impact our natural and then his supernatural makes things extremely impossible. As we look at it, you go, man, there's no way that Crossroads can actually do that. There's no way that these individuals in the church can actually do that. It's actually because his super affected our natural. He's already given us a reality from the vertical dynamic. He's adopted us. But there's also relational integrity, so much so that we look at this in the culture. They'll look at this and they'll say, man, this, this is impossible. Only he could actually do this. Man, I tell y'all, man, this, is, this fires me up. Because there's nothing like the church when the church is working right. I'm telling you, I've seen it. There's nothing like the church when she's functioning right. It's like these puzzle pieces. If you didn't get one, by the way, when you leave, hopefully we'll have those ready for you. Okay, but if you, when you came in, you're supposed to get one. But they're just a demonstration. We're not going to come together one day and do a big old puzzle. There's a thousand pieces you know, we're like, hey, no, no, so, don't, so don't email me going, Pastor, are we going to put them together? I'm going to back, no, we're not, right? That's what I'm going to say. No, yeah, that's what I'm going to say. We're not doing that. This is just something for you to hold on to as, a, as something just to remember. Like, I, I'm uniquely made by God. Sis, beautiful. You walking in believer's baptism last week. God has gifted you. You, you hear me? I mean, he's gifted you. So everybody in this room, those watching online, you have a unique poetic purpose in God's kingdom. But the beautiful part is, is when we put it all together, I'm going to tell you all, man, God can do some crazy stuff, stuff that only can be written about in books in the days to come. How much do you want to know God? All determines on how much you get involved in the church. We grow, you grow in the context of the church. So when somebody say, man, I'm good with Jesus, but I don't need the church, just tell them, that's a lie. Or a lot of people saying, I don't need the church. That's a lie. That's a lie. Straight up. But the purpose of this, you ready for this? It's to grow up. Verses 13 through 16. I'm going to land a plane. He's given to the church these different people to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. That word ministry means really service. Help them to discover their poetic purpose in the mix of the context of the church to serve. Look at the purpose for building up, notice the language, for building up the body of Christ until we all, circle all, all means all, and that's all all means. Like every single person. Not that some people grow, not that a, a, a few people grow, but that we all may grow up. All may grow up. Attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or just believerhood, Christhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Notice the language. It's like this. There's this, this, this vertical dynamic. There's an upward mobility, if you will. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine out there, okay? By human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, we should be able to look at those things and go, man, look, get out of the way. We should be able to slice it with God's sovereign theological, with his knife and go, that's just not right. We, won't, we ain't doing that. But notice this. Rather, speaking the truth, hey, man, you're not pulling your weight. I need you to sign up. Some of y'all need, need to get in the game. Some of you, it's time to start serving. Some of you, it's time to start giving. You're clutching your pockets like this and God is going, I'm not going to force you. I want to remind you, though, by the way, I'm the Lord of all. But even with finances, it's time to start serving, time to start giving. But he says this. I ain't get too many amens on that one. That's fine. Amen. <laughs> get funny when you mess with my money. Amen, right? So anyway. But he says this, but rather in love, encourage one another. Hey, man, I see this in you, man. Hey, have you ever thought about serving here? Hey, you're not pulling your weight. I want to encourage you, but it's all in love. We are to grow up. Uh-oh, there it is again. Paul is on something in that dank cell. In every way, he says in every way. He said all of just a little while ago. Now he says in every way, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined together, and held together, and let me just say this, our budget is not holding us together. 
Our polity is not holding us together. Jesus is holding us together. And let me just say this one too. I just, man, I just, man, some of these, I heard people say, well, I just feel I'm the gift to the church. No, you're not. You're not the gift, definite article, to the church. God has gifted every single one of us to be a part of the moving forward of the body of Christ. But then he says this, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, there it is, I want to help you get there. When each part is working properly, not like that draggling muffler, that dragging muffler with the, with the wire hanger holding on and trying to keep it together. Y'all been there before, some of y'all. Don't be hating on me. Don't be fronting. Don't be hot side. But when every part is working properly, it makes the body grow. Uh-oh, there it is again. So that it's built up. Oh, it's built up itself in, though notice, in love. That's, that's the picture. That's the picture. To advance the gospel. The Lord's toolbox is unique. His toolbox is unique. It's one said that Jesus approached the toolbox, his toolbox, um, because you know he was the carpenter. Approached the toolbox and Mr. Hammer stood up and was trying to say something. Mr. Hammer presides. Hey, I'm glad, Lord, that you're about to do something with us. But then there's an there's a uproar and several others begin to argue. that They said, hey, look, um, Mr. Hammer, he, he needs to leave this meeting. He needs to leave the meeting. Why? Because he's just too noisy. Mr. Hammer needs to leave. And so Mr. Hammer replies, well, look, if I need to leave the meeting, then Brother Screwdriver, he need, uh, Brother Screw, he needs to leave the meeting. Why? Because it, he, it, you have to turn him around and around just to get him to do anything. So Mr. Hammer, if I got to leave, Brother Screw got to leave. Brother Screw says, well, if I have to leave, then Brother Plain have to leave. Why? Because all of his work is on the surface. There's no depth to any of his efforts. Th think of this. This is God's toolbox that he deals with and how he works with. So then, well, if I have to leave, Sister Ruler, she has to leave too. Because she's always judging and measuring everybody up, and she thinks she's right all the time. So sister, she got to get out of here. Well, if I have to leave, that means Sister Sandpaper, she need to leave too because she's always rubbing people wrong. Sister Sandpaper, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? So Sister Sandpaper, she said, look, if I need to leave, then Brother Saul, he needs to leave because he's always cutting stuff up. So the Lord approaches, the master carpenter approaches the toolbox and King Jesus is getting ready to build a pulpit so that he can preach the gospel from and as you begin to use these different pieces, Jesus grabs Brother Hammer, Brother Screw, Brother Screw, Brother Plain, Sister Ruler, Sister Sandpaper, and Brother Saw. Brother Hammer again stands up. I have something to say. Notice this. He says this. When we act independently of each other, we really don't accomplish anything. We really don't. And as a matter of fact, we don't appreciate each other and what we bring to the table. But when we are in the hands of the master, we are laborers and co-laborers together to build something for the glory of God that brings him glory. But when, he, when we're in his hand only. Church, let me say this. I know in this room, there's many of us, we're not using our puzzle pieces. I know it to be true. You're not using your divine, your divine poetic purpose. We want to help you get there. We, we want to help you get there. We want to help you get there. But a part of that too is you can't just work your way into the church any old type of way. You got to have a relationship with Jesus first. John 10 talks about this. There's no back gate, right? There's no random way into the church. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Then you're adopted into this thing called the body of Christ. It's beautiful. So that's first. So here's what I want us to do. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Here's what I want you to do. You say, I, I'm outside of Christ. I've been very religious. I'm like Brother Plain. I just, everything I do is on the surface. Really, fairly surfacey. 
I'm around Jesus, I'm around the church, I'm around the Bible, but there's no, trans, there's no metamorphosis, no real transformation. And I've oft, often wonder why. Jesus came to die to be your Savior, but also not just your Savior, but also to be your Lord. So if that's you, you say, I've never repented of my sins. In other words, I never had a change of mind. I, I thought I was doing good. I was good. I'm a good person. But I realized, man, that I need Jesus in my, my life to pardon my sins, to forgive me of my sins. And it's only through his work on the cross alone that's, that's why that's even possible. I can't work for it. Religion doesn't do it. Me trying to be good enough can't do it. It's me trusting in the work of Jesus, having faith in that. You say, that's me, Mark, because I want to trust Christ. Well, here's just, this is an intimate moment between you and your creator. Say, Lord, I realize today that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I really do. I realize it. I, I, I know it. As the text said that you descended, in other words, you became like us to be our substitute on the cross, to die in our place, to live the life that we were supposed to live and also die the death that we were supposed to die. You literally, you are our substitute on the cross. Jesus in my place. It's because of that work, Jesus, that now, if I put my faith in you alone, you dying and being buried and rose again, that I can have literally salvation? Yes. Forgiven and wiped clean? Yes. Past, present, future sins? Yes. The power of sin is broken? Yes. The power of death broken? Oh, death, where's your sting? Yes. Shame and guilt gone? Yes. Bondage? The fetters of sin broken? Yes. Chains broken. You hear him clanking now? Only through Jesus. Say, Lord, man, I need you. To, I need you this morning. I need you. Come into my life. I want to surrender my heart to you. I want to follow you. I'm turning from my way. And I'm turning to you for salvation. Thank you for saving me today. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to find myself and one of our staff members. We want to have that conversation with you. Again, this is a whole part of you. Discover your poetic purpose. You're not just here on earth taking up heat and space. God has a plan for you. Sovereign purpose for you. But then lastly, you may be the person here, you're going, man, I'm not using my poetic, I'm not using my puzzle piece. I'm not holding, I'm not pulling my weight. And as a result of this, Paul says, we're able to see Jesus clearer. What a great accountability we have towards one another now, right? You see that? Like, it's not like I just skirt and scoot through this thing. Like, it's kind of like, just skirt, skirt, skirt through the Christianity. No, 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 you can't, not, that's not the, that's not real biblical Christianity. Called out to be called up. Called out to be called up. You say, Pastor, man, I need to, I want to discover what this is, if that's you straight boldness. I want you to stand up. Say, I want, man, help me. Help me. I want to, I'm here. I'm glad that I'm here. You just stand. No shame in your game. I want to discover what my poetic purpose really is. Is there one? I see you, Rev. I see you. Stay standing. I see you, sis. I see you. I see you. Some of these stories I do know personally. I, I really want to discover what, why, why, what's, what piece do I play in this thing? You have a piece to play. So, Lord, thank you. I see you, my man. Lord, I pray for those that are standing now. Help us as a staff, as a leadership, as pastors, to help them to discover their poetic purpose. What piece of the puzzle do they play in your thing, this thing called the kingdom of God, in and through your church? Spirit, give wisdom, give clarity, a deep conviction, when that moment approaches and comes. I pray that we will not try to rationalize our way out of whatever you may bring to us, that you reveal to us. I pray, Lord, that these individuals will, will take a step forward 
and trust you because he himself gives the gifts. Help us as a staff to come alongside them, to see them discover their poetic purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. For the rest of us, are you serving? Are you serving? Are you serving? We all have a part to play. Some of you say, well, I don't know about the church yet. I, I want to go to Next Steps. That's fine. You can go to Next Steps. You will hear the same thing in Next Steps. Amen. But we can't. We have a thwarted view and an unclear view of Jesus when you're not serving. That's the accountability here. It's crazy. Like the, it's, Again, it, it takes a whole new degree. It turns up the notch on the degree of what church looks like. We can't just play. We're not playing church. Some of you, it's your first day here, you say, I'm not going back there. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I'd love to pray for you. Amen. But we really want you to discover why you're here and to be used by God for his glory. So for the rest of us, you may say, I'm not serving. And many of you are. With all boldness, we are a family. We are a family. This is a messy family reunion every single Sunday. That's what this is. It's not a, this is not a museum. This is a hospital. The church is literally a hospital. You say, Pastor, man, will you help me? I want to I serve. I realize that we, we don't have a budget big enough just to be hiring a whole bunch of people. I see there's needs in kids. I see needs all around. Instead of looking at those things and going, man, they got to get it together. Maybe, just maybe, that's an opportunity the Lord is saying, uh, it's, I think you need to step in and, and do what you're called to do. Here's your poetic purpose. So if that's you, you may say, Marcus, man, I want to serve. I want to figure it out today. I want you to stand. This is, this, it's okay. This is a growth moment. Just stand. I want, I want to, I want, amen. Amen. Is there another one? I want to discover I need to be serving. Amen. I love these stories. Is there another? Amen, sis. Kara, I see you. Amen. I need to know what I'm doing. Why am I here? I see you again. Lord, thank you for these that have stood up because you're doing the work in their heart and their life. Again, help us as a staff to lead them in the right direction, to put them on the right seat on the bus, to discover their poetic purpose, really to use their poetic purpose in the context of your body, your body, your bride. Because then and only then, we'll really begin to appreciate each other and then we can actually see how you've wired us really to be together because that's when the best results happen. Jesus, will you move in this church in the days ahead like never before? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.